your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! It's March here on the Blocking Charge Cast. And after a, after a bit of a radio silence here from us in the midst of... A, well, you might think it was because we had disagreements about uh, about the nature of a certain game played between the, uh, the 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 alma maters of these two hosts, but really it was because uh, I was moving and all of my shit was everywhere. I make no apologies because you went on a four-game win streak after we removed Io the obstruction from your lineup. So. <laughs> yeah, apparently th- there was this post that went viral on Twitter, some Illinois fan asking. Okay, it's time to ask the question. Is Illinois a better team without Io DeSunmu? And they later <laughs> clarified that, in fact, they made a bet at some point within, like, a group chat that, like, oh, well, if Illinois wins this game, then I have to post this question on Twitter. <laughs> like, fully realizing that it was very, very stupid. Um, so, you know, but it's just one of those things where it's, like, somebody posts a tweet and everybody immediately knows that it's, like, dumb, even the person who posted it. Sure. But that doesn't stop everybody from taking turns dunking on it. I mean, I have my, I, I managed to post, you know, the Bass Pro Shops. This post is ass, bro. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> response to that one, but um, yeah. So that was a so a lot has happened since we uh, we we last met, which has involved, uh, you know, obviously you have two very hot teams in Illinois and Iowa that, barring an unforeseen collapse, are going to meet for. The, uh, the rubber match from last year that everybody was waiting for. Um, and, of course, you have uh, an official regular season champion who is only half a game back of Illinois in the standings. <laughs> yeah, so for the conference's scheduling, you know, a, a modified championship criteria <laughs> imported basically from the same mindset that allowed Ohio State to claim the football conference title, because why not? Uh, Michigan is now the regular season champions. Elsewhere, we had the remaining top teams. You know, Illinois was locked into that two seed pretty well, but then Ohio State, Iowa, and Purdue had a little game of musical chairs for the rest of the double buys. The Buckeyes hit a pretty nasty four-game skid down the stretch, so they're going to end up playing on Thursday. And then a bit later today, after we break down the tournament bracket, we will go into possible hot seat watches. There are two obvious candidates in the conference this year, as both the Hoosiers and the Golden Gophers uh, watch the bubble shrink on a continuous basis for basically the last month. You want to know something amazing? I guess, you know what? No, I'll save this for later. But I, I found some very amazing statistics on Minnesota that that, that make them every bit the anomaly we said they were the last time we did a deep dive on them. Yeah, they're weird. They remain weird. Uh, and But, you know, unfortunately for them, like not weird in a good way, it, it, you know, weird and weird in like the Pixar movies that don't hit kind of way. Um, but OK, so we have the Big Ten tournament bracket finally set after actually a pretty solid game yesterday. So we're here at the beginning of conference tournament week at least as far as we're concerned some of the smaller conferences are already underway um but yesterday ended up being an unexpectedly good day of basketball i mean first you have wisconsin and iowa which again as we commented on in our previous installment why the conference insists on putting their 
high profile weekend games in like the 1 p.m., 2 p.m. time slots. I don't quite understand. Hopefully they've got some kind of data telling them that's actually a good idea as opposed to putting them at, you know, six o'clock, like making it a prime time game. Well, uh, it's like, you know, daytime Super Bowls and especially daytime NASCAR races are things that still have a lot of fan support behind them. Like, especially the NASCAR thing, just because like there's been so many more rain delays associated with afternoon start times to get the West Coast involved. But I mean, naturally, you're talking about the Southeast, then that's more time that convection has had to make rainstorms and whatnot. Um, but the last holdout appears to be Big Ten basketball. Yeah, because look, I can understand, okay, we're going to schedule the times at times that are more convenient for more people for the in-game audience, but that's not true and we know it because I feel like every year there are more and more 9 p.m. Eastern games. Oh, man, <laughs> Illinois had 9 p.m. Eastern virtually every single day, including Fridays if that's uh, the case, until the very last yeah, part of the year. Especially if you're in the Eastern time zone. Well, you know perfectly well that even your local fans are not going to be home until close to midnight. So it's not a consumer protection thing. It's I think it's just a sloppy scheduling thing. But they put what on paper was the best game, Iowa-Wisconsin, first. Then they it's not like Michigan. they didn't know Iowa and Wisconsin were going to be pretty decent this year. No, I mean, they were projected as two of the three title contenders, really, uh, with your own team. And then Michigan-Michigan State was, it was supposed to be a 4 o'clock start. It was more like 4.30. And then to wrap up the regular season, of course, the big dramatic game, they had Maryland and Penn State. Now, that game actually turned out to be really good. I watched it from the beginning. I was like, well, this is going to be about a 40-point Maryland win at this rate. But then as our Maryland... Well, a 40 to our, nothing Maryland win. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it took Penn State till, after, till well after the first media timeout to get on the board. Um but, you know, as our Maryland correspondents have been, you know, <laughs> consistently pointing out to us, uh, Mark Turgeon just does not have the instinct to hold on for how to hold on to a lead in that situation. And so they let Penn State off the mat. That's another frantic program that's obviously not going anywhere unless they win the conference title. But still, for Maryland to give up that kind of way, it's just so like there's so many. Oh, especially given where Maryland is in the pecking order right now. I mean, you could argue that Michigan State bounced and put themselves above Maryland. Yeah. Pro I mean, not in the sense of the conference seating or likely even tournament seating, but if you consider this, yeah, the difference... In terms of likelihood to get into the tournament, I, I would say so because Michigan's got Michigan State has better wins Oh, Whereas totally. Maryland, I mean, if, just... that's, if that's the conversation, but I, yeah. I would still, I would just view Maryland as still being safely in. I didn't, oh yeah, I wasn't even thinking of it in those terms. But I mean, I guess there's enough of a slide they've hit. You know, really, they've got they had the win over Illinois. Um, I forget what else they have in terms of major resume items, but I think they're pretty safely in. I mean, the the Big Ten is probably going to be a nine bid league this year, but what? that game what that loss yesterday did cost them was seeding in the big 10 tournament if they had won they would have been the seventh seed playing the number 10 indiana who's been on a terrible cold streak recently and has never done well in the big 10 tournament instead because they lose rutgers takes the seven and now maryland is the eight and they have to play michigan state and granted they beat michigan state easily a little while ago but now they're going to be playing on equal terms in terms of rest so you got to figure you 
rather have a team with, let's face it, less upside than Michigan State. You know, Michigan State's been volatile, but they've shown the ability to, to, to have a higher ceiling than, you know, Indiana and, or Rutgers. For sure. And so that's really what that loss ends up costing them. Um, but so that's kind of a, a good point then to transition into we, we do have the bracket set. The Wednesday games, we have a 12-13 in Minnesota versus Northwestern. Um, that's going to be an interesting. I mean, we you know saw a, a very disappointing year for Minnesota that brings them to this point. Northwestern, I don't think anyone really expected to be playing later than Wednesday. Um, and Those we teams have, were both ranked at one point. Yeah, albeit, albeit quite early, and Northwestern mostly got there, like taking the last ranked game credibility. Remember, Michigan State was number four in the country at one point. Um, I think that might have been when they played Northwestern, because Northwestern was their right. first game. So, I mean, that presumably gave them quite the boost. Um, and that three-game winning streak they had to start Big Ten play really didn't last very long. Um, and then we have Nebraska playing Penn State. And Nebraska, despite the fact that they lost Teddy Allen to the midseason, you know, yeah, I'm getting the hell out of here announcement, has nonetheless shown some fight these last few games. That's not shown up in the win-loss column a whole lot. But if you're a fan of the team, you're still kind of heartened by the fight, I suppose. Well, I mean, they napalmed Rutgers. Like, that was a bit unexpected. They were at one yeah, point yeah. beating Rutgers by 30. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about unexpected. I mean... Rutgers Nobody is, knows what it's like to be the Rutger, <laughs> to be the Butger, behind by 30. <laughs> and then with Penn State, you have a team that for most of the season just didn't really seem to click as well as and with, again, you know, an interim coach, the offseason surprise they had, and then also COVID. Um, but they got what they kind of needed from Seth Lundy. I mean, I'm not saying they needed Seth Lundy to score 30 points every game this season, but they needed him to be more of an alpha on offense because they have, they have a lot of guys who can shoot. They're, they're very guard heavy. Now, I don't know what they're going to do for bigs next year because Hera and Buttrick are both seniors and doesn't seem like either of them is staying. They're going to be kind of vulnerable, but if Lundy had this kind of shooting gravity every game, they would look a lot more like the, you know, the team we saw the year before. It's hard to know what to say about Penn State because you lose a coach in the offseason to scandal. What the hell does it do to expectations? I mean, I know what it did to expectations when the only thing I can compare it to is Illinois football 2015, which is to say, oh, well, now I just don't even care. Like, I guess let's just have fun. But also, if we lose eight games, also, who cares? Yeah, I guess let's just have fun is probably about probably about the official model by now. Because 2015 was supposed to matter for Illinois football, just like this year. Seemed like it should have mattered a lot for Penn State basketball. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, oh, okay, I, I guess I have no idea what to expect anymore. I guess none of this really mattered anyway. No, apparently not. Um, the, and then in terms of the games that are set on Thursday, we mentioned you have Maryland-Michigan State. That was a comfortable Maryland win. Quite recently, I mean, it, they played so many games recently, I couldn't tell you exactly how long ago. So it was. last Sunday. Yeah, so it was only a week ago, and it already feels like it was about a month ago because they played Michigan twice since then. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I have a hard time imagining MSU is going to come out as bad as they did in that game. But as I then saw with the Maryland-Penn State game, Maryland is capable of jumping on you if you're not ready. They 
they've come out throwing punches the last few weeks. So we'll see how that goes. I, I It's interesting because I do think both teams are in, so I don't think it matters. But it's also a situation where either coach can turn their team and say, look, unless you want to be watching all these, you know, single bid league tournaments and sweating out whether we're going to be in or not, we need to win this game. And of course, the other thing about that is if Michigan State beats Maryland, their reward is that on Thursday, on uh, Friday, they will play Michigan again for the third time in eight days. Neat. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like a baseball series. It, pretty much. Um, and so since we don't know what the matchups will look like really beyond Thursday, we'll talk here a little bit that I think about Michigan's prospects uh, on Friday, they would get the winner of the Michigan, Maryland, the Michigan state, Maryland game. The big question for Michigan right now, of course, is what is the status of Eli Brooks? He had what, you know, to the casual observer looks like a pretty nasty ankle injury early in the Michigan state game. He left, came back out in an air cast. You assume if it was like a broken leg or something, they would have been able to, you know, they would have realized that and not brought him back out. But uh, there was no further information about that today. And I can't and, speculate, but sprains are a thing that can be, that can have just such a wide range of outcomes that all look exactly the same when you see them happen in real time. Yeah. It, even if he's fine, it seems kind of unlikely to me that they're going to play him in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, again, that's rampant speculation on my part, but you're talking about them playing their first game five days after he goes through that injury. I mean, even if it's just for precautionary purposes, I would guess they hold him out. And that highlights, you know, we'll we'll get into Michigan a little bit depth of depth later since they were the conference champions, you know, with a small asterisk. My uh, my most recent hospital injury was in fact a sprained ankle. And I can tell you that in recovery from that. And yeah, you can be, you can feel absolutely fine, you know, and then, kind of forget about it and then just take one step weird and it's oh oh no no okay well we're 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 back in the ice yeah so that's obviously a big mystery the other thing was i saw noted in a couple sources that after missing the last second shot not that it would have made a difference anyway but that franz wagner also landed a little awkwardly and was kind of limping around now given that earlier in the game he had an italian soccer player worthy attempt to sell an elbow to the face that didn't come within a foot of his face on replay. Um, maybe I'm a little less willing to take that injury at face value. How would you compare it to Bosch on Boozer? Oh, dude, that's the gold um, standard for it, elbows. He didn't, he didn't react quite as viscerally, but he definitely tried to sell it. Um, it, it was in that pantheon. It, it's uh, I'm not going to say it's the, most dramatic I've ever seen, but it was up there. Um, so that's Michigan's situation. Again, we'll go and we're going to do a little bit deeper dive with them as the conference champions in a minute, but to continue with the other games on Friday, you would have Ohio state the because they're the five seed have to play on Thursday. They get the Northwestern Minnesota winner. It would be a surprise if either of those teams gives Ohio state much of a fight, but Again, Ohio State has hit a little bit of a slide here recently. Um, perhaps, but they've they, had they tough have. games to play. I mean, yes, that's talk about a slide. They, they, their last game was against again a very pissed off Illinois and Batman Io Uh They also played Iowa last week. You know, 
So it's not Iowa. They played. Yeah, there was a desperate Michigan State team in there. There was Iowa. Yeah, you mentioned Iowa, and then there was the Michigan game the weekend before that. By most accounts, is pretty is probably going to be the defining game of the year in the conference. That it was ninety two eighty seven. You know, very exhausting. So yes, their schedule certainly solidified, and it could be of some benefit to them to get a slightly more vulnerable opponent and sort of get themselves recalibrated but they do have to play on thursday again because they ended up sliding down to the five seed um oh yeah. io yeah Yasunmu owns your soul <laughs> yeah uh, as we mentioned earlier we also have indiana rutgers in the 10-7 game boy you know <laughs> that one and maryland michigan state those are four teams that are capable of some some real, real bad offense sometimes. I have no idea how to call either of those games, but I would if, if you set the over-under at 120 for both of those, I would I should mash the under. Tempted yeah. to take the under. Indiana, of course, Indiana did lose at home to Rutgers, which is, you know, a rare thing to lose at home to Rutgers. <clears throat> yeah, and then again, there's this. I never know how much stock to put into things like this, but Indiana has had a very poor history of performance at the Big Ten tournament. So that's something that was true for Archie. That was true for Tom Crean um, for whatever reason, even though they're, I don't know if, do you think they're closer to Indianapolis or is West Lafayette? Now, they're probably both about an hour away, if I remember right. But um Considering that it's the closest thing to a home game you're going to see in a major tournament format, that they are so consistently bad there is kind of mystifying. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, well, again, we'll go a little bit more into this conversation in a bit, but I think this is a if Indiana doesn't run it to at least the semifinal, I don't think they're making the, the big tournament. And if they don't, I don't see how you keep Archie Miller around. We'll get into the criteria of that a little bit deeper in a bit. Uh, and then the last game on Thursday, you will have Wisconsin, the sixth seed, playing the winner of Penn State, Nebraska. Again, I, I wouldn't think Wisconsin would sweat too much with those. The Big Ten tournament, in my recollection, tends to be more chalk than you get in the NCAA tournament. Is there an angle on either of those matchups that you would be especially concerned about if you're Wisconsin? Not in particular. I mean, yeah, not really. They. They've shown the Penn State and Nebraska have definitely gotten some teams, but not teams that have been as not teams that are as experienced as Wisconsin, certainly not teams that are more experienced than the Chicago Bulls. Right. So here's the last thing we'll do for the Big Ten tournament. Then give me your projection for the title matchup in the winner. Honestly, I think the winner of the Illinois Iowa game, which I'm I mean, I'll be shocked if they don't end up playing each other as the uh, the two and the three. I think the winner of that game wins the tournament because, you know, you can't show me two hotter teams in the league right now. Um, and that's kind of, you know, when you talk about the Big Ten tournament, it's usually whoever's been playing the hottest lately. So yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess I'd say, you know, whoever comes out of that game, which, of course, I'm going to favor Illinois because, you know, of course, I mean, Ayodesumu I, I in the uh, mask has yet to lose a game. So... Um, I think it's it's clear to me that the bottom half of the bracket, meaning the Illinois-Iowa side of the bracket, is definitely uh, there, there's not much in the way of challengers from those first couple days to Illinois or Iowa. I mean, I think they're both decisively better teams than Wisconsin. And if you go further down, you know, what is the game situation that allows Rutgers to beat Illinois or that allows Indiana to beat Illinois? 
it's not impossible to conceive of, but it would take something like an A or A plus game from the challenger and like a C minus game from Illinois or Iowa. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it would involve Illinois shooting a lot of free throws. <laughs> a lot of free throws and a lot of first half layups seems to be the, <laughs> seems to be the Achilles heel for your squad. Um, I'll go a little bit further than that. I'm going to I'm going to predict Illinois beating Michigan in the Big Ten tournament final. Um, the only thing that gives me some pause on that prediction is I'm I'm more confident in the Illinois side of it than the Michigan side, because I wonder, given how. So the thing and we'll, so this is a good point to transition to our discussion of Michigan a little bit, which is. The first thing that I noticed going back through their statistics and a lot of their individual game results, like how did they do this, is they play their starter. Their starters are very good, and they play them a ton of minutes, and they've had really good health fortune until now. And we'll see what the situation is with Eli Brooks. But whether he's able to ultimately come back this year or not, I would be really surprised if he plays in this tournament. So what I almost wonder is, does Michigan risk getting upset either by the eight, nine winner Michigan state did just beat them. Um, or do they go down to Purdue? Because the other thing, another, so another thing obviously that is that benefited Michigan a lot and got them to where they are is that Hunter Dickinson turned out to be that rarest of things. The seven footer who doesn't need a year and a half of conditioning and training to be a useful player. <laughs> um, he's come in and been game ready from the get go. Now, it's also undisputable that in the last few weeks or so, he's hit a little bit of a wall. And that, that was, wall was named Kofi. Yeah, well, Kofi and then a <laughs> horde of, and then a horde of Michigan State bigs. I mean, he did pretty well in the first game against them, but then they came back and threw a bunch of different guys at him the same kind of the same way they did to Kofi in the game Michigan State had against Illinois. And they frustrated him enough that he was very ineffective and he got in some foul trouble. Well, the thing is, Michigan is kind of the anti-Iowa as far as I'm concerned, whereas Iowa is really only concerned with playing offense. Michigan State seems way more concerned with playing defense, or Michigan seems way more concerned with playing defense. That's not to say that they don't play offense, but like that is to say that the challenge is in scoring on them. Yes. <clears throat> I think what can be said about Michigan offensively is that because they have this unicorn of a player who's so effective at scoring in the post – that they also have a roster where everyone else is a threat to shoot from the three. So because it's easy to get I, open looks. Yeah. So they, they don't, because yeah, there's so much pressure to consider doubling Dickinson and he's pretty good as a passer out of the post. So I don't know that there's a whole lot, like it doesn't have to be more, they don't have to run much more complicated offense than that. It's drive post entry, swing it around until you get an angle that you like. If he's able to, if he's got his guy set up to make a good move, perfect. If not, then kick it out and hope you've drawn a double and you have an open shot. Like that's and they haven't know, run into a lot of teams that have been able to take that away. Yeah, and the, I mean again, the, so the downside here twofold. So we saw when Eli Brooks went out that if they're short one playmaker, it kind of ratchets up the pressure on everyone else enough that maybe there's not like because they had to play Shawnee Brown big minutes, he's perfectly fine. But the thing is. That means they don't have a bench. Like they, I, they may have only played. So they they played Zeb Jackson a few minutes. He's probably attempted fewer than thirty shots this year. I mean, he's just not a guy they use. And then they've got Austin Davis, the big guy who's basically like a body double for Dickinson at this point. And then they play Stunt Brandon double. John. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then they play Brandon Johns, who's a stretch four 
who also rarely shoots the ball. So they have virtually no bench scoring to speak of. And that was true. I mean, Brown was really the only guy who gave them any punch off the bench. And now he's going to have to be a starter for a while. So especially if they get into a higher paced game, I think you could easily see them get worn down. And that's just, that's not just in terms of, well, do you risk giving up some stuff on defense, but boy, I could tell you, see, watching this Michigan state team put up some truly horrid shooting performances. You can tell when an entire team is tired because all the shots are off the front of the rim. They just don't quite have enough oomph to follow through the way they should. So those would be the concerns you have if you're Michigan at this point. And some of those things I think would have been true, even if Brooks was healthy, which is that, you know, you rely heavily on a freshman center and he appears to be hitting the wall a little bit. And there's also a little bit of a depth issue, which is now going to be exposed in a way it hasn't been this year. But up to this point, though, the fact that they've gotten, I mean, they're aside from Wisconsin, probably the most senior laden team in the conference. They brought in the two senior transfers who fit them like a new pair of gloves. Um, you know, maybe that's not a good analogy because I, I guess a worn in pair of gloves actually tends to fit you a little better. Um, <laughs> Look, how much Michigan fans care about what happens in this tournament is going to care is going to be directly affected by what happens in this tournament, because this tournament doesn't really matter if, if they lose, you know, whatever, you know, it's not like you, it's kind of like, you know, Minnesota or Illinois, or even that last Michigan state game, like none of those games really necessarily count as losses because they didn't necessarily think that they were the most important games in the world you to know, win. Michigan just ran out of time in those games is what happened. They didn't lose. It's just that the, there wasn't enough time for them to win. Well, you know, and they probably would have if they didn't have so many other higher priorities that were just preventing them from getting around to winning. Sure. So anyway, that's kind of my take on how Michigan got to where they are and sort of the the predicament that they're in, again, having played kind of a shallow bench all year. And that's, again, just because of the roster construction, that's where they were going to be. Um, I feel now, a lot better about Michigan's chances in the NCAA tournament than in the Big Ten tournament. And that's entirely due to the status of Brooks. Oh yeah, and the fact oh, I mean, that they're that they're going to play teams that have beaten them in the Big Ten, and like we've said, you know what you have to do to take away what they do offensively is something that just not a lot of teams in the country have. No, there's not a lot of teams that have somebody who can play Dickinson one on one, and if you can't play him one on one, and you're going to want to dig a little bit with a double team but if you do that do you have the speed to either recover or to rotate accordingly um not a whole lot of teams outside of the very top flight which you know later in the tournament you can expect to see teams that will be able to do that i mean i Um, think baylor could do it just because their guards are so good at getting in passing lanes yeah um you know but like i said there's just the big 10 is where you're most likely to find the kind of teams that can do that yeah but again you know I, given that we expect nine Big Ten teams to make the field, there's a non-zero chance you're going to see a conference opponent before the Final Four. <laughs> so. Yeah, and and you know, and again, yeah, the Big Ten is the most likely place to find an opponent that can beat Michigan, but they still managed to win the second most game to to win tied for the second most games of anybody in the conference. <laughs> so that's a good segue, I think, to get a little more into the overall accomplishments of your own team. So since we last convened, as you mentioned earlier, there was a game between our respective squads and somebody's nose got broken. And you know how exactly that happened? Well, these are still things that we're kind of looking into and details are sketchy to say the least. 
Um, but despite losing that game and then also the soon move for a little bit to Michigan State, Illinois then promptly steadied itself. And again, it helps that the next game was against Nebraska, but they went on quite a run without him, locked up the two seed in the conference, which, you know, by most comparisons, if the standings have you at the top, you would be the winner. Um, but they but, also, I mean, it was not. Yeah, we're only in NASCAR and 2021 Big Ten basketball. Yeah. Is that not the case? But you also, I mean, you also got to look at life without Io in a very real way. And you got to see a dress rehearsal for Andre Carmelo that had to be encouraging. Well, yeah, the interesting thing was that team that played at Michigan was what we thought we were getting this year because we didn't, no Illinois fan thought Io DeSumo was coming back. <laughs> that was what we thought we were going to have this year. And they, all they did was went on and put on the most impressive road win of my lifetime for Illinois to just, they stomped the number two team in the country on the road so hard that Zach Griffith was out there scoring points. We basically did another senior day at the end of that game. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's going to be interesting. Um, what that, what that's a testament to is that, you know, the hype's always been about Ayodesumu and Kofi Coburn, but there's a lot more depth to that team than people were giving them credit for just because again, Io and Kofi are such big problems for people, but, yeah, but given Curbelo the right really step up. Yeah. Curbelo, I think, is the Curbelo man is the future of Big Ten basketball point guarding, as far as I'm concerned. He's a joy to watch. Uh, Jacob Grandison has come on as a guy that can provide a spark in a situation where they need something. Trent Frazier had himself a, a day against Michigan. Uh, Georgie Bashanishvili had his best game of the season that night as well. Uh, probably his best game of the Kofi Coburn era. Um, and, you know, you also saw, I mean, you didn't see a whole lot out of Coleman Hawkins, but, um, you know, Adam Miller has seemed to find his stroke a little bit again. He's been a more consistent shooter after he had a great debut and kind of disappeared for most of the rest of the year. So it's been a, it's been really encouraging to see that they do have that much depth. And, you know, you, you saw Ayodesuma was in every single huddle that they had. So it's not like, you know, it, it's not like Ayodesuma isn't still the heart and soul of the team, but they have a lot more than just that one guy. Yeah. And that's, that augurs well for tournament play, obviously, because you're going to, you're going to get him, you're going to get IO back into form right in time for the event that calls for dominant guard play more than anything else. Um, moving a little further down. I think, Oh God, was it uh, Washington on uh, Ohio state who had this to say during the game regarding guarding Andre Curbelo? Fuck man. <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't stop him from going by to the hoop fuck man <laughs> you're a lot more of those this year i know uh, that's been that's been wonderful i like that they haven't uh you know that they haven't done like the nfl and make it all sound like a uh you know like like yin yang twins on the radio <laughs> or um, just long patches of silence abruptly <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's just been pretty fun um to, to to hear a little more of the the communication that goes on and it's also you know in at, at in that Illinois at Michigan game, the Illinois bench came prepared to do cheerleading as well. So that was that was fun to see. And, and of course, then they went and took it to think about their last two games were a 23 point road win at number two, Michigan, and then a win at top 10 Ohio State. Those were both on the road. Uh, of course, prior to that, they had a win at Wisconsin. So I think this is a team that's about as as hot as any team in the country. 
uh, couldn't possibly be picking a better time to do it. Uh, the only other team in the Big Ten that looks anywhere near that hot is the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah, and so they, um, <laughs> you know, they had us in the first half because for a minute there, it looked like they were going into their typical late season swoon. Um, but this time they pulled out of it in time to lock up a double buy. Now they may have something of an issue here in that they did lose Jack Nunji, the only real support for Garza in the front court to a torn meniscus. He's now out for the year. And although look again, finishing third in this big 10 is still going to get you a two seed. Most likely it's still Iowa's best season in a long time. Um, and perhaps this is just, I, I don't know, maybe I'm placing expectations on this program that they don't have themselves, but here's the only thing I would say about this season is you have a generationally great player who came back for a senior year, something of a surprise, I guess. Although again, his NBA projections are not overly optimistic. As I was saying to you before we got started, I haven't checked any in a couple weeks, but I have yet to see a single projection that has Garza going in the first round, um, which is just mystifying to me, but you've got this generationally great player. You have a good supporting cast around him. And unless you do something in one of these tournaments, you're not going to have anything to show for it. Still haven't won a big 10 or still haven't won a big 10 championship. It's going to be difficult to win the big 10 tournament, but you know, again, unless am I wrong? Am I, am I wrong? And being like, am I coming from the position of a basketball fan elitist? in that this is what I would demand of my team where I, if I, if I come in here and say, look, if they don't win a big 10 tournament or make a final four, this whole thing has been a waste. Like they wasted Garza's career. And is it unreasonable of me to say that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that it's unreasonable, but like, you know, for all of the times that Iowa has seemed very hot early in a year under Fran recently, they still haven't made a sweet 16 since 1999. So and they certainly the big, hope that they can get there. They haven't won the big 10 since 1979. So yeah. And, and, and they, they have neither won the big 10 nor finished half a game above the big 10 winner in the standings, <laughs> which is uh, maybe we'll make like another category of banner for that or something. That's still, well, yeah, they've transcended the limits of the places in the Big Ten, and they are simply just outside the bounds of the oh Big Ten. Oh, my goodness. Oh, geez. I just had – oh, boy. Um, okay. Okay. I just, This just came into my head, so I'm just going to say it. You've been in the slack enough to notice that, really, it seems like what Iowa fans care most about is just beating Wisconsin. Am I right, at least when it comes to basketball? Yep. And that's really what they want more than I think is it, you know, I never really get responses when I'm like, Hey, why, like, shouldn't you be demanding a conference title at the least out of a, getting a player like Garza? Like, shouldn't you be expecting more? Like, I don't really get a response to that, but if Wisconsin comes up, they're all over it. Do you remember the conversation I had with you about my future father-in-law and how he's, so he's a Lions fan and, right. <clears throat> but he it's sort of a thing where like two years ago now well no a little more than a year ago now we were in florida we were with my fiance were with and i were with her parents and it was during the lions packers game at the end of the year i must have told you this story yeah and we were off 
doing, we did like a manatee swim and everything. So we missed most of the game. We watched like the first half of it in a sports bar, incidentally full of Packers fans at some, you know, middle of nowhere. <laughs> we found like a Wisconsin retiree settlement. Yeah, probably like a lot home. of Packers fans in Florida. Well, yeah, like an hour north of town, there was it was like an enclave or something like like you would see in like Chinatown, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, see, so, now this year it's been interesting because you've got Packers fans in Florida and you've got Tampa Bay fans all over Michigan. Yeah, lovely. Uh, <laughs> so watch the first half of the game at a bar and I was like, all right, we got to drive back. Let's go. So we're in a rental car. It's Florida. I tried to find some bandwidth that or some you know wavelength that was broadcasting Lions game but of course there isn't we're in central Florida it's the Detroit like nobody gets a shit about the Detroit Lions there so what I ended up doing was from the back seat directly behind him I just got up a feed of the game and I'm like refreshing refreshing like I would just tell him what was happening like describing the game to him as it happened and it ended up being of course that the Packers came back at the last minute won the game beat the Lions and I knew it was going to happen like half an hour before it did. I was like, oh boy, there's, there's no way this turns out except a Packers win. I know this is a long story. I promise I'm getting to the point. And after it was over and I told him, uh, yep, that's, uh, that's the final. Because again, Rodgers did his thing and they scored, Packers scored a touchdown. They won the game. But at that point in the season, the, the Lions were freaking terrible. I mean, they were on their way to a three-win season. And I was like, well, you know, look, they're at least they're going to get better draft position out of that. And what my fiance's dad said was, I don't care about that. I just want to beat the Packers. And that blew my mind. And it's not the same situation, of course, because, you know, it, there's no relationship between necessarily between the result of a single game and whether you win a title. But in response, I get sort of the same vibe from the Iowa fans I've ever encountered, which is. In response to the jabbing question of shouldn't you demand a little more out of your basketball team, given you've got a player like Luca Garza, there seems to be kind of an air of, I just want to beat Wisconsin. And I, this is the second time I've asked an am I wrong question. Am I wrong to see a very similar mindset between Iowa Hawkeye basketball and Detroit Lion fandoms? I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Man. Okay, you know what? I mean, they, they they want to beat Wisconsin, and for whatever reason, they really want to see bad things happen to Illinois. They don't necessarily need to do those things. And, and Nebraska, too, which is weird, because, like, picking on Nebraska ball, it's like, come on, man. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, if it, you know, football is understandable, because Nebraska does have the tradition, and they do have the big old fan base, and, and you know, Scott Frost is a, a raging tool. Um, <laughs> you know, anyway. Oh boy. So that, that was quite the meandering trip. Um, the other thing, of course, that it kind of a cool scene from yesterday is that after the game was over, Iowa beats Wisconsin. And then they announce what appeared to be news to him. Cause if not, boy, did he give some convincing crocodile tears, but they announced that they're going to retire Luca Garza's Jersey while he's still out there. Uh, you know, he's overcome with emotion, very cool moment, but then something occurred to me, which is, you know, I, after Michigan state's game, I was, I'm all over the place. Cause I'm like, all right. So despite I mean, in this season, they've been ranked in the top five. They've been all but guaranteed to break their tournament streak. Now they're back in and in Sunday's rematch against Michigan, 
they looked once again like the team where it's like, okay, I can see how at some point they might have been ranked in the top five. And so I'm kind of like spitballing about like, what does the future look like? Who's leaving? Who's staying? Oh, wait, we have no idea because there is a free year. Everybody could stay. We have no idea what any roster is going to look like next year. Yeah. And I also then, keep forgetting about that because, you know, we had senior day. Yeah. And, and like a lot of teams did. And apparently the we had senior day twice, <laughs> once in Ann Arbor. I just get like, I can't help but wonder if a lot more of these guys are going to be like, hey, coach, actually, I'm going to come back. Um, and so, of course, I bring this up because in the, as I was going through this mental exercise for my own team, it was when I saw on BTN, they talk, they, you know, bring up the film of Garza in tears and all oh, the retires number. What a cool moment. And I was like, yeah, but he could just come back. Yeah. And this is why I mentioned earlier in the context that I brought up, uh, you know, he's not exactly projected to be a lottery pick, even as the presumptive player of the year. And you know, microwave offense and everything. Um, but <laughs> he's certainly not assured of being a first-round pick. And so would it necessarily be the worst thing in the world for him to just say, nah, I'm going to spin the wheel and come back for a super senior year? Yeah, and be and like be like Bill thing. Snyder coaching at Bill Snyder Family Memorial Stadium. <laughs> yeah, he'd play an entire season under his own jersey hanging in the rafters. And, I mean, he, he broke um, – Roy Marble seniors scoring record with like what seven or eight regular season games to spare. I think maybe not quite that many, but with plenty of room to spare, if you had another entire season, you could make sure nobody is ever going to break that record. At least not as long as basketball looks like what we know it as. So well, think about this though. Like Trent Frazier is a guy that to my knowledge, hasn't popped up in any round of any mock draft. He's a senior. Yeah. Like he's, he's not, going to be drafted but he's a pretty good big 10 basketball player like yes him guys like Langford, who, by the way because he's already taken a medical redshirt would be coming back for a sixth year <laughs> so. only sixth like my goodness yeah. i thought langford it just feels like langford's been around for and he looks like he's been around for a while he yeah I've, i do feel like he might have gone to the shave look to conceal the hairline a little bit but Look, he's not, he wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> well, wait, how old is he? Because I believe Tracy Abrams turned 25 while still a member of the Illini. Langford is 24 now. They mentioned that on the broadcast yesterday. <laughs> so, all right. Well, the thing that I noticed about when they retired Garza's jersey and took him out of the game was that it was a four point game and they had a defensive substitute for him. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Just feels like the most important player in the country. Might need to stay in on defense in that situation, but you know, this is Iowa. They don't play the same kind of game that everybody does, where they actually need people to play both ways. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So we're we spent enough time in the weeds in Iowa. Um, the last double by team, which has kind of gone uncommented on for long stretches, I feel like relative to where they've been this year is Purdue. Um, yeah. The last time we mentioned them, we were talking about how, you know, there were all these teams tied just behind Michigan and one of them was Purdue. And it seems yeah. very surprising given that, again, didn't they take a loss to, to just a god-awful Miami team? They did. And they also, well, and they, they blew like, it was like a 20-something point lead in that game too. And then they also lost to Clemson, such as, you know, to the point where it's like, if they had if they had just got done a little better in their double ACC challenge, they'd pr they'd probably be an entire seed line higher because yeah, Miami turned out to be awful. I think Clemson was a mid table ACC team, and the ACC was really weak this year. 
Yeah, here. Okay, I'm looking for a stat that I saw involving Northwestern and the ACC. Yes, perfect. I'm so glad you remembered that. Oh my God, where is this? I had this somewhere, but it was... Uh... You might have sent it to me. Check your message history with me, because I know you sent it to me. Yes, yes, I did. Okay, so Northwestern, which is... Well, at the time that this was posted, they were 5-13 and 13 in Big Ten play. Um, there is no team in the entire ACC with more quad one wins than Northwestern has with three. Northwestern is 5-13 and 13 in Big Ten play. And that's a tweet that you sent me from two days ago. So. Yeah, and, and I saw something similar about Purdue, which uh, by Ken Palm ratings, I think they're what, the fifth best team in the Big Ten, fifth or sixth best team in the Big Ten, they would be the <laughs> second best team in the Big 12 uh, and the ACC. Yeah, and so that's that's why it feels like a little bit of a broken record when you're listening to broadcasts sometimes and everyone's like, oh, the Big Ten is so good this year, so good this year. No, guys, it really bears repeating. The Big Ten is so good this year. <laughs> it's not It's not like a thing where, oh, look, Duke and North Carolina are both just st- stacked with lottery picks. They're both going to be one seeds. Yeah, sure. The thing is with the Big Ten, that depth goes eight, nine, ten teams deep. Um, is there a lottery pick in the Big Ten right now? I have seen occasionally Franz Wagner mocked around the end of the lottery. Like, I think the highest I saw him pick, mocked was like 12th or something. Um, but other than that, no. There are some great college basketball players. But are there any <laughs> are there any surefire best you know surefire NBA rookie of the years? No. no, there aren't. Although I I've said this before and I'll say it again, why that's not the case with Io Dasunmu, I don't understand. <laughs> Me neither. If he becomes a consistent three point shooter, he is James Harden who plays defense. Like I I don't. And I mean, yeah, he's, I don't get it. He's shooting above forty percent, so. I think on a relatively small sample size, sample size, which might be the only concern. But yeah, I mean, he's doing he's putting up 40, 50, 90, I'm pretty sure. He's got the perfect measurables for an NBA point guard. I don't get what they're not seeing, but you know, I'm not exactly an NBA talent. I'm not so. complaining because I think it arguably got us another season, but oh yeah, for sure. I think he definitely came back to improve his evaluation. But anyway, Purdue, as we were talking about, um, about all anyone really says about them is Oh, hey, they've got all these good freshmen. That's cool. And then that's basically it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Travion Williams is still an absolute hoss of a post player. Um, Stefanovic can be a little streaky, but he's the kind of three point threat that's a perfect counterpoint to a guy like Williams. And then, yeah, between Zach Eady being a functional player at seven foot four, um, Jaden Ivey kind of looks a little bit like a young Carson Edwards to me. I mean, he does. <laughs> they have a team right now where they don't need him to have a scoring load like that. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe the comparison is just too easy to make because they play for the same team. But I think in a couple of years, you're going to look at him and be like, God, this freaking guy. Um, he feels like he's going to be one of those types. So, well, the other night I got very, very emotionally unstable and wrote just a long screed yelling at every other big 10 team except minnesota for allowing michigan to just kind of sleepwalk into a conference title just because nobody could be bothered to show up to play them in ann arbor where all of the games they played were uh nine home games and 17 but anyway the way that i yelled at purdue was by noting that hey 
you have the seven foot four guy. Why didn't you figure out that your Matt Painter Purdue, that guy is going to be useful. <laughs> like just do the thing that you always do as Matt Painter Purdue and just play the seven foot four guy. Just make with the big boy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but you know, the last thing we'll say about Purdue is we, again, we understand there's a lot of, there's, this is really the important part of the season. So we don't want to look too far ahead, but the other thing about Purdue as sort of a counterpoint to all these important freshmen is they have no scholarship seniors. So when you consider that also, I don't think really Travion Williams or Sasha Stefanovic are exactly going to be drawing NBA interest either. This whole team is coming back next year. Um, They're going to have the kind of continuity that Wisconsin did this year. They will hope it goes a little better. I suppose. Well, Wisconsin did still finish sixth. Um, but yeah, aside from a couple of early season stumbles against crappy ACC teams, all that means is they're going to end up being underseeded in the big in the uh, big dance. So <laughs> good luck playing them in the first weekend. You know, if they end up being like a four seed or something and your, your team has gotten into a position where you think you've got a good matchup. Okay. We only have to play. Oh, it's Purdue. Oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to squish you probably. Yeah, especially if you don't have a lot of largeness to you. No, which again... You don't have a lot of length or girth. Yeah. So, we talked about the happy stories in the conference this year. We hinted at these things earlier. Penn State is in an unusual situation because Jim Ferry was an interim and short of a massive overachievement this year. I don't know if they really... I mean, do they seriously consider him for that job opening or not? I don't know. But either way, they're going to be picking a new permanent head coach. But let's talk... Hot seat watch. First, when I first wrote this outline, intending to do this episode about a week ago, at that point, Minnesota had just lost to Nebraska in a game where Marcus Carr scored 41 points. Um, That was pretty much the fatal blow to their tournament hopes. They went on and lost a couple more games after that. Um, And then similarly, Indiana finished the season losing six out of their last seven games. And really because of their typically soft non-con. I mean, even the two games they did play against Texas and Florida State, they lost both of those. Really all they've got in terms of resume items is that they managed to sweep Iowa somehow, which again, that's a confusing result to me. All right. So now let's talk about weird Minnesota things. Yeah, do it. So overall, they ended up with 13 home wins overall, which was second only to Iowa. The record on the road was 0 in 10. 110. Yep. Nebraska had a better road record than Minnesota by virtue of being 1 in 10 on the road. Uh, and here's another fun thing about Minnesota their record against the AP top 25, 5 and 5. <laughs> they went 500 against top 25 teams. And yet they ended up 6 and 14 in the Big Ten, which puts them half a game behind Northwestern. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, I. <laughs> One of those top 25 matchups would have been with Michigan State because we played them back when everyone still thought we were good. Um, and then am I misremembering or did they get did they pick off Ohio State at some point too? Um, that's a I th- I'm pretty sure they did because they did have they beat Iowa as well. Yeah, which it, you know and they beat Michigan. I mean, they basically beat every good team that came to Minnesota except Illinois. <laughs> um so to consider Minnesota in a little more detail. Let's say that they don't make the tournament this year. This is let's just say for the sake of argument that say. six and 14 Minnesota misses the tournament. <laughs> just bear with us on that. 
this was Richard Pacino's eighth season. In those eight seasons, here's what he's accomplished. In his very first year, he won the NIT. In the, in the succeeding years, he has made the NCAA tournament twice. The first, the first time they lost in the first round. And then after that, they beat Louisville, <laughs> avenging, avenging Papa Patino's honor, and then got bounced by Michigan State in the second round. So they've got two tournament appearances, did not make the second weekend either time. And in terms of conference finish, this is not in sequential order. This is just what they've done. So their best finish was fourth place. They finished in seventh place twice, and then they've finished 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th before this season. This year, they finished 12th. In the context of this year, I suppose it is perfectly fair to say that they had two injuries that they simply could not afford. When Liam Robbins and Gabe Kausher got hurt, their season was over. Um, but what was though. the best case scenario for this season, even disregarding that? By that point, they were already, yeah, they, they were already well out of the conference race, probably out of the tournament picture too. Yes. Um, so what's the case for keeping Richard Pitino at this point? I mean, unless I'm missing something here, is Minnesota basketball a juggernaut? No, not by any means, but. Well, what they've tournament... done traditionally has been do just enough at the season, at the season's end to save his job. That's yeah, what they've but... generally done. And they sure as shit didn't do it this time. No, this time they had injuries to the two guys they could not afford. I mean, they've they've always, under Patino, been a pretty shallow team that relies on a handful of big-time contributors to carry the load. And so we've, we've had this conversation virtually every season <coughs> where we said, yeah, but then when this guy leaves, who boy, this is going to be ugly, right? Yeah, How many he's... times have we said that? Daniel Orturu was certainly right. and, one of them. And look, and to his credit, he managed to scratch out a pretty decent replacement for a tour when finding Robbins. But that, that's still like just replacing the one star guy has never been enough to make them an actual good team. Because then when you have this situation, Robbins gets hurt. They have nothing behind him. Nothing. Nobody who's ready to play. Um, I can't imagine what the case is for keeping him. Slightly different situation in Bloomington. So let's take a look at Archie Miller. If they miss the tournament here, which seems pretty darn likely, I think they'd have to win at least two, probably three games in the Big Ten tournament. But if they miss the tournament, that's a four-year offer in terms of tournament appearances to start his career at Indiana. I mean, it's he's been there for four years now. They've had plenty of recruiting stars. They can never get more than two or three guys to show up on offense is their problem. They play pretty consistent, pretty good defense. But despite having, look, in, in three consecutive recruiting classes, they've landed Romeo Langford, Trace Jackson Davis, and Christian Lander. And despite having that kind of talent, it's not like those have been the only guys they've landed. They've had plenty of other blue chips. They still can't put more than two capable offensive players on the court at a time. And these are very sim- this is a very similar case to Minnesota, whereas I'm just looking now. I don't see how you can possibly argue that Minnesota is in a materially better place than they were under Tubby Smith. I don't see how you can possibly argue that Indiana is in a materially better place than they were under Tom Crean. I don't see when Archie Miller has turned out basically to be like CVS brand Tom Crean, where you get a lot of talent and underachieve, but my goodness, underachieving Tom Crean wise was like, you know, losing before the sweet 16 as a one seed or something. No, because you know what? It, 
as ridiculous as this sounds to our beloved Tom Arnold doppelganger, um, that comparison is not even fair to Crean because we we tend to, I think we maybe downplay his accomplishments a little bit because yeah, you know, he, he was the goofy guy. There's, I just, the, the emblematic picture of Tom Crean is the one where he's like yanking up his pants because his suit doesn't fit him at all. Um, or the one where he's just making that horribly uncomfortable face trying to hear the question being asked to him. Yeah. Or the yeah. one where it really looks like he's drinking a beer as he's losing a Big Ten tournament game. <laughs> yeah, but so look. I mean, Tom Crean was just delightful as a producer of gifts. Absolutely. And so because he was somewhat of an amusing figure, we forget that. You know, let's see. How long did he actually spend? He was hired in 2008 and fired 2017. So he made it longer than I thought he did. They won the Big Ten twice. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, I don't know, man. Again, look, I get that things had slid a little bit. They had some off-court issues, but no. And they weren't necessarily wrong to fire him. It's just that if you're going to fire him, then why do you keep Archie Miller after this? That's that's the thing. Just because you replaced somebody that needed to be fired with somebody worse doesn't mean you were wrong to fire that person. It's the Ron Zook argument all over again. That doesn't... You know, firing somebody when you need to fire them doesn't guarantee that you'll replace them with someone that sucks. It's two separate things. No, I I always have heard this described as the Glenn Mason conundrum, which is to say, like, the decision, yeah, the decision to fire a guy has to be divorced from the results of the guy that comes after. Um, And I think that's, yeah, probably a pretty fair thing to say at this point, because, look, is there any indication in Bloomington that you are just one more recruiting class away from winning a big 10 title, making the tournament being a threat to go on a deep run. Is, is there any indication of that? I mean, they're one great recruiting class from being exactly who they are now. <laughs> yeah. Which is to say, it's not like they haven't been recruiting. No. Yeah. It's a team that's been recruiting pretty well and not really doing a whole lot with it. So no, it, and this is also, man, if this isn't exhibit A for hiring a coach is hard, then I don't know what is. Because look, on paper, wasn't Archie Miller a freaking home run? I mean, 100%. I was coveting him hard. He'd been an assistant in the Big Ten, been an assistant in the Pac 12, had learned how, had basically learned the recruiting game from his brother, which, you know, means you're probably going to get in some trouble eventually. But look, Sean Miller's still cruising. Nobody's hit him with a show cause yet. The biggest of IU haters had to concede that this is a home run. Yeah, and he took he took a hideously he took a, a really irrelevant Dayton program and made him into a national darling. Um, they've carried on a little bit of their success since he's been gone. I mean, look, three years after he left, they had a national player of the year. So he built a durable enough program for that kind of thing to happen. Um, but again, all that being said, it is impossible to look at where Indiana is right now and think they're close to a breakthrough. It sounds like we agree. You probably pull the trigger and fire both of these guys. Well, especially, I mean, especially Patino, but I mean, I, I guess they're, they're wanting different things at both of these places, you know, but I don't know what Minnesota wants, but there's no way you can have expectations of any kind and be satisfied with what's happened here. No, I, I mean, I don't know either, but look, they're the only major state school. Like nobody else in Minnesota has a relevant basketball program. They ought to be able to make the tournament more years than not. Like they well, don't have to. The last, I mean, they fired Tubby Smith for losing in the round of 32. 
Yeah, I suppose so. And again, maybe the, the other side of the Glenn Mason conundrum is it's important to know yourself because should Minnesota football really have been that discontent with consistently winning eight games? Well, recent evidence seems to suggest that maybe that they should have been happy with what they had. So you got to remember to evaluate the initial firing decision too. Anyway, um, we'll skip over this next note because we talked about Michigan State plenty. But to wrap up, one last data point, something that you mentioned when you talked about Nebraska and Minnesota's road performances. Despite the lack of crowds this year, you can still see an incredible home road split as being the difference in who the good teams in the conference are and who the bad teams are. You mentioned Minnesota, they're 13 and three at home, 0 and 10 away. Nebraska managed to go six and nine at home, despite you know only winning seven games on the year. I eyeballed the math, and this is this is before the last couple games yesterday, so this is gonna be off by a couple. But Big Ten teams posted a record of 56 and 88 on the road as of, again, one or two games not being over yesterday, which is good for 39% rounding. And then at home, they posted a mark of 142 and 56, which is better than 72% of the games were won by teams at home. Despite the lack of crowds, you know, despite long pauses, breaking up multiple team seasons, Home court still matters, um, and it mattered in maybe a more pronounced way than ever before. I'll have to look. I'm kind of curious. I'll have to compare that to previous seasons. Maybe on the next episode we'll have that note for you. But An interesting thing I'll note here is that in the Big Ten, Illinois' home record was exactly the same as their record on the road. They went 8-2 and two on the road. Eight games is as many road games as Michigan even played. And that's why, again, that's why Illinois is at the top of the table. And Michigan was helped, to be sure, by having fewer challenging games than any of the other top But look, it can't simultaneously be true that the Big Ten is just amazingly deep. There are no games off, right? There's just never going to be an easy game, especially not on the road. Nothing's a given. And that, oh, yeah, Michigan for sure would have won those games, especially two of them on the road. Yeah, no, you just pencil them in for a win. Those two things can't both be true. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, as I told you beforehand, if you just just hang the banner, just don't make a big deal out of it, just kind of put another one up there. You know, like I haven't been to um, the State Farm spaceship or whatever you call your arena, but at Breslin Center, there's been because of the amount of space it would take. Again, this is the most humble brag thing ever, but because of the amount of space it would take if they had a full size banner for every season. They just have one large one that says, you know, like Big Ten Conference Championships, and then they have the individual years. If you have a deal like that, just, just go ahead and throw 2021 up there. Nobody's going to notice. But this is from the DIA that congratulated Nebraska for bringing back Big Ten football and then deleted the tweet. Source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.